0: The absolutely delicious non-alcoholic beverage I'm drinking right now is Naughty Rosé by Thompson and Scott an alcohol-free, organic, and vegan sparkling wine. It has the classic rose color, and when you smell it, you get a hint of freshly-picked berries. The taste is a great mix of sweetness and acidity, and it is balanced by that perfect amount of bubbles you expect from a delicious champagne. I love Naughty Sparkling Chardonnay, as it was the best non-alcoholic sparkling wine I've tasted so far. And this, the alcoholized rose doesn't disappoint and retains the rich flavor that you'd expect from a premium rose. It is the perfect drink to have when you're celebrating as well as when you're wanting to make the perfect mimosa hi everyone i'm marco salazar and welcome to the for all drinks podcast your place for discovering delicious non-alcoholic beer wine spirits mocktails and more for leading a fun healthy and inclusive lifestyle on today's episode we have amanda thompson ceo and founder of b corp certified thompson and scott thank you so much for joining us today Amanda Thompson is the CEO and founder of B Corp certified Thompson and Scott. She was raised on a plant-based no sugar diet by her health conscious mother and always had a keen interest as to what was in her food. She is now leading the global shift to alcohol-free drinking by recently launching the game-changing non-alcoholic beverage, Naughty. The first top quality alcohol-free organic vegan halal and low sugar sparkling Chardonnay. Made of 100% organic grapes, Thompson and Scott prides themselves on using only the best grapes for their naughty bottles. Their organic grapes are grown with minimal intervention in the harvesting and production process. And with 5.9 grams of sugar per 100 milliliters, it is almost half the sugar content of other non-alcoholic sparkling wines. Amanda is also driving the debate for greater transparency in wine production and labeling and wants consumers to push to know what's in their bottle. So here she is, Amanda Thompson from Thompson & Scott. Hey Amanda, welcome to the 4 All Drinks Podcast.
1: I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for asking me.
0: I'm really excited to chat with you today because I just had your delicious Naughty sparkling wine recently with my parents and they absolutely loved it. And I have to say it's one of the best non-alcoholic beverages that have, that's come to the market in the U S. So to kick it off, I'd love for you to share where the idea for Naughty and Thompson and Scott come from.
1: It came through my obsession with, beautiful champagne essentially, which I know sounds strange since we're talking alcohol free. I was a party girl who was all about the pop of the cork, that moment, and then you pour that first glass and then the bubbles hit your lips. And that for me was the romance of a fine champagne. And that really got me thinking, could we create that without the alcohol? So that was the seed of the idea. Actually, Marcus, that was really when the hard part started. Um, The creation period was pretty dark and depressing. But luckily, here we are with Naughty. So I'm delighted that you're loving it.
0: Yeah, I absolutely love it. So what was that? Once you had that idea or the thought, can we make it alcohol-free? What were the next steps after that?
1: So initially, I tried... Every single alcohol-free, I could get my hands on my side of the pond. So in London, I was buying some in from the US, from Europe. So I tried as much as I could. And without being rude about anybody's brand, pretty much... All of what I tried was not quite where I needed it to be and not really even close, frankly. A lot of the alcohol-free sparkling wines were really sugar laden and chemical laden and selling for virtually nothing. And, and obviously we all like a keen price in life, but I knew that if you're just selling for literally a few dollars, none of that's going to the liquid. So we weren't really starting from a great place. And so... That was when eventually, it was like finding a a ruby in the dust. I found one maker whose alcohol-free wine I actually liked. So that was really the first part of of the excitement. We were still some way from on the palate, because I'm all about taste. I come from the fine wine world when I was retrained and I was terrible with the facts and figures, but I'm all about taste, which I think is really what matters in the drinks world, essentially and couldn't quite get to what I needed. And that was when really the, a bit like making a cake, all of the recipe making and the trial and tribulation and how much sugar and whether the grapes were organic, which I was really needing. And that's when I started to work with this maker to see whether what I wanted to achieve taste-wise was actually possible.
0: Yeah. And you said it very diplomatically, but I think you're absolutely right that (laughs) in terms of the non-alcoholic beverage industry, especially in the U.S., there's a huge lacking of really good wines. They tend to be very sugary. And like you said, it's really interesting. They are very inexpensive. And I hadn't really thought about how then there, there isn't a lot of time or energy or resources going into the making of the wine. And it, it they tend to be very flat or not very complex. And I think that's what was very different about, about naughty. And so when did you actually launch?
1: So we launched in London. I always get mixed up like everybody now with the pandemic, our lives are in dog years. We're all confused about dates, aren't we? So autumn 2019. So pretty much six months or so pre-pandemic, hitting in March 20. So we'd only been to market six months prior. And then we launched in the US just in time for Thanksgiving. So I think it's been pretty much a meteoric rise. And, and, and I can only really, Marcus, put that down to people like you spreading the word online during the pandemic, we doubled down on our sort of online presence. And thankfully that paid off. And we managed to get to the great and the good across the US pretty quickly because of online. And I remember doing your festival at the beginning of the year and meeting many sort of like-minded alcohol-free fans of good quality stuff and realizing that America really was an exciting opportunity for us. And and so we then started to spend a lot more time focusing on networking and contacts there, albeit all online, which is very frustrating that I can't step on a plane. And then really that US side of the market has just been crazy. This week, I feel embarrassed to name drop, but I, I can't resist. We were on the cover of the New York Times food. One of your most famous wine critics put us there. It's almost unbelievable.
0: Yeah. But I think it's also a testament to you providing a product that's vastly different than what is currently on the market, meaning that it is just as good, if not better tasting than many of the champagnes and Proseccos and sparkling wines on the market. I, As I mentioned, I just recently popped a, a bottle with my parents and my dad couldn't stop licking his lips and, oh. and, and his tongue because he was so surprised by how good it tasted. And can you share a little bit about what that experience is for someone who tastes a naughty for the first time?
1: I love that. Honestly, anytime I hear people like you saying wonderful things, I I literally am touched because that's all really that matters to me. The taste, I think everything else, the success for me can come from a perfect taste. I, I think my obsession with taste I guess it's coming across here. So, so that's where I get excited. The organic grapes, it's not easy to really at the moment, sadly, find enough producers in enough countries working with organic grapes. And for me, from a sustainability perspective, from a, a purity perspective, that's the holy grail. And, and I was really focused on being 100% organic. And I know each country has different legislation around organics. Actually, I know the US does, but Germany has very rigorous legislation. And so we wanted to be hundred percent organic. So initially that makes things harder. So I guess nothing about the creation of naughty was easy. And then you get into the way that the wine is dealcoholized, because I was really focused on being a hundred percent alcohol free so not even trace and you'll know from all of your discussions uh, and there's a lot going on at the moment with with trade associations with governments with legislators around the world about what no alcohol should actually mean and of course abv in the drinks business we talk about abv consumers have no idea and nor should they need to i think it's our job really to educate them and for me it needed to be a very simple proposition, zero alcohol. That, for me, is a really clear, simple message. And when mixologists want to make low-alcohol cocktails, fantastic, be my guest, but I wanted to start from a place of zero alcohol. And that was, again, where the extra challenge came, because I think some people in the alcohol space know this, but alcohol brings weight, and you want some kind of weight in an alcohol free, and that's tricky. And so the beauty of the bubbles is they, they give you some degree of weight. You've got the organic grapes, which give you that purity, the freshness, the expression. As a sun ripened in, in La Mancha in Spain, southern Spain, so you've got the sun ripening, which we want to retain some of that kind of flavor. And then you mentioned about your father talking about him licking his lips. I love that because for me with good champagne it it starts the saliva going it, it creates that sort of moment in your mouth where you think what am i going to eat now where are we going for supper i fancy a truffle risotto something salty something spicy and that is what i also wanted to replicate with naughty so i'm really glad you said that about your father that means that my my job was done
0: and can you describe would you say that it's dry it's a little sweet what is that what what's that flavor profile
1: well, it was very interesting to see one of the American reviews talk about its sweetness. In fact, it's the driest out there, the driest out there in the alcohol-free world by a long shot. We have 2.9 grams of sugar, and that's uh, usually less than half of other black brands and often by a long way. But for me, having less sugar isn't a case of literally we must have less sugar. I'm always looking for what I think is the perfect balance. And again, that takes me back to the world of fine wine. And for me, you only really need to think about balance, anybody drinking drinks when it's off. So I'm looking for it to be a harmonious balance. And and I'm hoping that people feel like has achieved that where you've got some acidity, but it's not too bracing. And of course, the way that alcohol-free our wine is made is what's called vacuum distillation. And so actually, you do need... A little more sugar there than you might need in for example i can make a beautiful zero dosage no added sugar champagne and it's still going to be beautifully balanced but with alcohol free you need a little more sugar there to start with to help with the de process i hope i'm i hope i'm not sounding too much like a science nerd at this point. no
0: so many people in the for all drinks community love hearing all about this and i love getting pretty geeky about this i wouldn't describe naughty as sweet. I would describe it more on the dry side. And the thing that's great about that is it's also the perfect sparkling wine for cocktail making. It, it, it's great for mimosas and that dryness really adds to all the different types of potential cocktails you can make.
1: Agreed. And I think for people who want it slightly sweeter, you've got that opportunity, haven't you, to add all manner of other things. And uh, yeah, so far... Some of the cocktails that some of the mixologists out there on, in America, in, in the UK, have been mating, making a blow my mind, actually, really. I think it's so easy, Naughty, because I... I sometimes think we need more of an education piece in the zero proof spirits world. I heard someone talking the other day about should they shot an alcohol free spirit? And I was like, yeah, probably not. But with Naughty, you can do the glass pour like champagne. You can go for your life with a super creative cocktail exactly like you would a sparkling wine. So again, you've got that real simplicity, I think. And people can make a a complex cocktail if they choose to or just drink it like champagne. So I think, On any bar list, you can have champagne cocktails or naughty cocktails. Simple.
0: One of the things that you just mentioned and I wanted to ask you more about is the sustainability piece that you shared. And the other thing I'd love for you to share is that you were one of the few B Corps. Can you share a little bit about what B Corp is for those that may not know it and why you decided to become a B Corp and why sustainability is a part of your brand?
1: So Profit With Purpose, I think is a the phrase now that everybody realizes in business that if they haven't got it at their heart they definitely need to bolt it on as a lot of the big corporations are frantically doing right now because I think you'd be a fool in the world of business now not to recognize that consumers are being super demanding as we should be when we're purchasing and I think The fact that it's now commercial drive is actually brilliant because it means big corporations have to make themselves more open and accountable. Part of the reason my business exists is to do with really shifting the global wine world towards a more sustainable practice with the pillars of encouraging organic growth in wine. So the more popular Naughty is, the more organic grapes we can buy... And the more the wine business recognizes that that you know consumers are demanding organics and i know it is still considered relatively niche in the wine world a natural wine and biodynamics takes it a whole step further with stirring potions in the middle of the night but organics is still it's still not right out there in the way i think it should be and it is for example in the food business we've got some way to go but also Just really general ethics, the way that the B Corps certification demands that you assess your business is on, it really has a rifle through your underwear drawer. I heard someone say metaphorically, they're looking at the way you treat your staff, the way you treat your partners, how you're trying to make the world a better place. Are you pushing, being recycling, recycling everything? Are you working towards having a, a better carbon footprint? But those, I guess, are the more PR-worthy ones. Where it really has a rummage is in even my shareholders' uh, articles and documents. We have to have a, a point about how we won't be driven purely by commercial purposes. So I think you're really putting your money where your mouth is there. You're saying that your bottom line will be driven as much by ethics as it will by the commercial market. So I think that's where it's proven out. Patagonia was one of the first sort of really famous brands to are you familiar with Patagonia yeah, yeah yeah to really have the ceo of Patagonia you know his when he said that those beautiful words some time back way ahead of the curve like don't buy us don't buy anything stop buying us i think that was really perfectly ahead of the zeitgeist and we're all in that now aren't we where we're turning our back on fast fashion and way ahead of the curve and he was the patagonia were a famous beaker to just say this consumerist world we live in is is not actually working and i think now we all realize that and there's brands like mine who a, a couple of years a few years back i would not have been the one to bet on and now we're selling in over 25 countries we're growing across the us and nobody's arguing so i think from tiny seeds, hard work pays off and you can really do brilliant things while still hopefully retaining the sense of, of respecting the planet and people.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I'm familiar with B Corps. We partner with them on my other company, B Social Change. And I think you perfectly described what also encompasses this non alcoholic beverage industry, which is being much more intentional and mindful in terms of how we go about our lives and who we shop with. And for those of you that you may not know, so B Corp is a certification that businesses go through that abide by, commit to abiding by certain social, environmental, organizational, and business standards. And as you said, Patagonia. Um, seventh generation, all these brands are trying to use business as a force for good. And I appreciate that you are one of the first B Corps in this non-alcoholic beverage industry, because hopefully you then are also one of the brands that sets the standards. I know that there are brands, so many brands in the non-alcoholic beverage space that are very intentional and mission driven, but the B Corp certification officially certifies it and gives you a way to measure your progress, which I think is really great.
1: Yeah, it's lovely. I'm I'm very proud. Nobody's perfect, but I think it proves that you're trying to do the right thing all of the time.
0: So what do you have coming up? I know that you have another drink coming up. Can you share a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, I can't wait for rosé to hit the US. Just as delicious. Still beautifully balanced. Still brings the party without the alcohol. A little more on the berry side rather than the apple side. And uh, I've got a sneaky suspicion you're all going to like it.
0: I love it. I love rose. Is actually my favorite to make uh, mimosas. So I'm super, super excited about that. I'd love to learn a little bit more about you. So, what can you share a little bit about your background and your work experience, and then how that really led to the creation of Nadi and how it's impacting the growth of it
1: now? Sure. So I grew up with a single mother in the '70s, and I I had a, a plant based diet. So I've been plant based all my life, which I think's not super common. And it wasn't very fashionable then. It was quite hippie, actually. Uh, She had a tiny health food business. She used to deliver muesli on her bicycle. And if you think about the 70s, anyone listening who's a similar age, it it was really not this achingly cool thing. It did come from the hippie movement. But of course, so much of what I guess she brought me up with in terms of beliefs about good eating is just really seen as the gold standard of normality and very fashionable now so i think that was interesting that i guess i'd grown up with an entrepreneurial mother but not a successfully wealthy one but just the fact that she was doing it to put food on the table and i think for anyone who's read the, the gladwell book the tipping point she was way too early with her business almost I and mean, this was pre-whole foods and my father was an immigrant so he my father's Pakistani, and he had come over five pounds in his pocket. And he was an immigrant who'd had to find his way in in Hertfordshire, which in the UK, it was very white. I think he was the only brown person when he came over in in the whole area. And he ended up there because he wanted to be a a pilot. He wanted to train and get his pilot's license. But he remembers the stories of knocking on doors to find lodgings and and struggling to to find anywhere to live. When I got asked recently whether entrepreneurialism was in my blood, I, I guess I then revisited those touch points that i'd never really particularly thought about because my journey since then was very different i spent all my early career as a broadcaster so i worked for the bbc i was in the arts i was terrible at hard news because i've got big eyes big smile lots of hand gestures which is awful for hard news so i ended up in the arts world and of course that was the fun space i was a huge obsessed art obsessive and fashion and music and stay with me there's a link to all this champagne that was how my relationship with champagne began at the Cannes Film Festival the pop of the cork and I really developed a love of fine champagne but not when I was paying because of course in the art space back then you'd get handed glasses sometimes of really beautiful champagne and that's really when the journey started my romance and obsession with fine champagne led me to start thinking about sugar in wine, which got me onto chemicals, which got me onto transparency and labeling, there be lack of this idea that in the wine business, there's not a literal ingredients list. And that really was the start of this whole crazy journey, which led me to leave my career behind, move to Paris, I studied I studied wine at Cordon Bleu, the first ever wine diploma. So I had two children and a husband and we all upsticks to, to Paris and it was quite a risk because it was all on a wing and a prayer. I remember putting the course on a credit card actually. So I was all in at that point.
0: I love that. I love hearing that entrepreneurial journey as well as the influences from your childhood. And I think the other kind of side note or side thread is the idea or your experience of you living a plant-based diet. And there are some parallels between the vegan and vegetarian movement and this non-alcoholic beverage industry where I see the NA beverage industry where the where it was where veganism and even gluten-free was there five, ten years ago. And hopefully as an industry we can amplify as rapidly grow the industry and the availability much faster than the vegan movement. But there's a lot of parallels.
1: I completely agree. I, I think that's a really interesting thought. And
0: and hopefully I I think it also makes me think about in the past, and I'm sure you experienced this where When you went to restaurants or bars or just specifically restaurants and there weren't any kind of vegan or plant based options or even in the retail stores where if you're looking for something vegan or plant based and it's all over the store. And I think we want to make sure that there are options available for everybody in every situation and occasion.
1: Absolutely. I remember when I launched my first champagne before I moved into alcohol free we were the first wine brand to say, we're vegan. And I remember, you know, carnivorous friends, what There, there's no meat and wine. And I was like, no kidding. You can still have it, have what you like. But for the vegan community, we were really putting the spotlight on the fact that we weren't using dairy products during the filtration process. And I remember when we got that message out there, it blew people's minds. And of course the irony was, there's many producers that, that are making vegan wine, but they hadn't ever thought to share it.
0: In that continuation of your entrepreneurial journey, what are some of the favorite things that you love about your your work?
1: I love sharing the story and meeting incredible people. And I guess the synergy with my previous life as a journalist, as a broadcaster, people have always been my buzz. And that's why I've missed hospitality and on-premise so much. I guess I'm the sort of person who does get energy from other people. And so meeting incredible people is the most obvious one. I have a thirst for knowledge and curiosity and obsession with learning, going back to being a journalist questions. And I think that is key for being an entrepreneur. I always say if you've got a discernible ego, you better check that at the door, because I don't see any place for ego actually apart from when you're having to do your PR and uh, really puff yourself up and, and share the story. But in terms of the day-to-day sort of workings, you've got to check your ego at the door because you, a lot of the time you're gonna know sweet FA about whatever you're having to really manage that day. So I guess there's never a dull moment, never. And I think people who haven't ever started a business from a blank sheet of paper, I don't think they will ever realise the entrepreneurial. It's one thing and actually it's another. And, and I guess to use a New York term, it's 95% hustle. And the level I work is not healthy, objectively. And I, I think just in the media now, we're starting to talk about that a bit more. It's a lonely place being an entrepreneur. It is a really lonely place because so much of the challenge is really in your head. And half the time or more, three quarters of the time, no one's ever done it before, or, or you can't find someone who has. So, so you're you're literally just getting on and doing things a lot, of you, a lot of your day that you might have no idea how to do. And so you've got to put so many things to one side, a fear of failure, you better go get over that on day one, I think. And so I, I share all of this to say, I always recommend if anyone asks me about the journey please entrepreneurs love what you're about to do because if you're not obsessed with it in an arguably slightly unhealthy way I don't think it'll work actually and I think chasing the success and money is a mistake and I remember actually my father who I think you'd be delighted to hear this because I don't think I've ever in my life quoted his wisdom. I'm going to publicly now. I remember really early in my life, uh, I had a quite a peripatetic childhood, I think I mentioned, and I think it was actually quite informative with hindsight, but my mother was a single mother. We didn't have money. My parents split, and then my father had a little money. So I used to mix between two worlds, which was very useful journalistically. And I think it's been a useful life lesson now. You sit me down with anyone, and I can have a good old chat with them. I don't care you know, how important or not important anybody is. And I think the don't chase the money thing, I, I really believe, in. I think that you've got to chase the success and the journey having some sort of plan. I do believe in that, but I think chasing money is a mistake. And I remember my father saying when I was very young, he said, if ever there's an an awkward moment in a restaurant or no one wants to pay the bill, even if you can't really afford it, I remember him saying, just quietly pay the bill. Things come around, karma. And I'm not religious, but I do believe in karma. And I just think you have a conversation with somebody. If you're kind, you get along. They'll remember you. So I think all of that has now come together for me in terms of, I guess, my recommendations for entrepreneurialism. Be nice. Yeah. You better be nice because if you're not nice, it's going to come right back at you.
0: Absolutely. I think there are some very great nuggets of wisdom. One, loving the journey and the process, and not necessarily about that end destination because. The success and money and those kind of things can be artificial and very externally driven, and you might lose steam. I think the other side is that, I think from my own perspective, there's an unhealthy obsession with certain things. And part of the challenge of an entrepreneur is balancing that out. I think coming full circle is that What's great about what you're creating in all these non alcoholic beverages is that it allows for you. I think I know a lot of people, and myself included, that would relax with alcohol and even link sometimes alcohol to creativity. And being able to have these options available as substitutes allows you, it's as Bill felt from Athletic, it's a great life hack where you can still drink and, and you're going to be, uh, you're not going to wake up with a hangover and you'll wake up in a much healthier way to continue the entrepreneurial path.
1: hundred percent. I think that freshness in the morning is just so special. I, I'm none of us any anyone who has drunk before even a few glasses on the wrong night we can all just think can't we feel that pain of a hangover who wants to lose a day's life to that because you lose a whole day each time don't you
0: yeah absolutely there's a quote drinking is borrowing happiness from the next day
1: it's <laughs> um, a really really interesting quote and completely pertinent so as we're
0: wrapping up where do you see naughty and thompson and Sot going in the next 3 to 5 years what's global your domination.
1: vision global domination i'm fiercely ambitious i didn't mention that so even though i mentioned about trying to make sure you're not chasing the money and the success i do believe a an overarching goal is important and i certainly have one absolutely i'm obsessed with naughty being the Alternative champagne everywhere. So you say champagne or naughty, boom. That is my plan. And I want that to happen all across your country within the next two to three years.
0: You remind me of another quote about as an entrepreneur, chasing success and even chasing money but recognizing that money can be used to change things versus buy things and that's changing things in your life in your community's life in people's lives and on a global level so i i love this global domination mindset because the ripple effects of how it'll positively impact people around the world it it, it very much aligns with kind of the social impact orientation of b corp and everything you've described
1: and making a difference afterwards because of course as soon as I do have money there are so many wonderful things I can do to help bring on the next generation and and, and I'm just really desperate to see a much more inclusive diverse drinks world because we all know how it's definitely been dominated by older white men for way too long And I think we just need to celebrate the great older white men alongside all the rest of us. I want more women out there, more people of color, more more, more people of every single sort of sexual persuasion, disability. I really want to open it up. And I think Alcohol Free offers that really sexy, inclusive angle.
0: Well, thank you so much, Amanda, for sharing your story as well as just creating an amazing product.
1: It's been a pleasure.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today, and I hope you were inspired by Amanda's story and all the amazing innovation and work that she's putting in to making the best non-alcoholic wines in the world. If you're subscribed to the show, thanks for being part of the Four All Drinks community. I'd be super grateful if you can take a moment to leave me a rating if you enjoyed this episode and the podcast. If you're not a subscriber yet, be sure to subscribe to this and all the other episodes of the podcast to start discovering more delicious non-alcoholic drinks. Lastly, visit oraldrinks.com for show notes to this episode and sign up for our newsletter to get the latest non-alcoholic beverage news, special giveaways, discounts, and more. Here's to drinking healthy, inclusively, and different. See you all next week.